0: awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids oh man sounds like a good time if you want to check out the show lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the worthy of everything show are we starting the
1: podcast now or- oh we've been on the podcast my brother <laughs> <laughs> yo welcome to the death of life podcast my name is richard young and today's podcast i think man i'm tired of saying this but i'm going to say it. this is one of my favorites this is my guy diego silva and diego is my brother um this guy has ministered to me and been my pastor while i've been in kansas city and uh, this story is it's it's awesome because of I just like the contradiction of the lies and the truth seen so plainly in somebody's life. Um, I like to see how obvious the lies are, because the truth has been revealed. And that has been made plain in Diego's life. And, no, you're going to love this story. There's some crazy stuff in it. And, um, yeah, announcements. I don't really know. Go to my Bible study. Uh, buy some buy some merch. Uh, be loved by God. I think those are my announcements for today. What do y'all think? Should I have a break in the middle of these things? I had one break and I've gotten several comments that they loved the break because they thought it was funny, but not for the purpose of the break. Anyway, let's not talk about that right now. Let's listen to the podcast. Diego Silva, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all.
2: Appreciate y'all. Yo,
0: Richard, are you about to do the podcast?
3: Mm-hmm. so what's up man are
1: we on Are we on? (laughs) Yeah, man, we're on. Okay. So, uh, Diego, man, the first time, I joke about this because I feel like I always start my podcast when I meet somebody. Like, it's not about your story, it's about when I met you. Right. (laughs) And, of course, it's going to be about your story, but the first time I met you- Three years ago. Was it three years?
2: Yep. Little less than three years. It was my first year at Midland? It was the middle of your first year at Midland. And I was interviewing and kind of deciding whether we'd move from Montana to
1: Kansas City. I did not know how old you were, but by the way, don't get offended by this. That's okay. You thought (laughs) I was a lot older, huh? I was just like. The way I was acting? Yeah. And I knew you were a pastor. Uh huh. And I was like, yo, this guy is what I thought of when you think of like conservative pastor and i'm not that's not a I bad get that a thing i get that a lot and i hate i hate to even say that right because yeah. when you say conservative what the flip does that even mean right. right put me in a box yeah and so i put you in that box yeah and i was like who is this guy and i was really kind of nervous about because at that time at our conference at Midland? That first conversation yeah.
2: in your office? Okay. And I was nervous because,
1: for this wow. reason. Uh-huh. Because at that point, my job was to get you to be interested in sending your kid to the school. I, I was got at, that impression. <laughs> yeah. I did get that impression. And so, I'm like, I got, this guy seems pretty <laughs> conservative. That's the only, just for lack of a better word, how do I sell this thing as that? Like we can offer what he is looking for for his family, Um, whether or not we were conservative enough or whatever, that's a different story, right? But well, there's a there's a reason
2: why you probably got that impression and put me in that box. And as I tell my story in a little bit, it all makes sense. Okay. Well, like, (laughs) but I'm not surprised that you got that impression. I get that a lot. And it has much to do with my journey
1: in Adventism. So as um, Fräulein Maria would say, this is so corny, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start.
2: Before we go there, though, when we played basketball together, did it change anything about that initial impression? Because we played basketball together a few months afterwards. By then, I had already moved into town. Just curious. Was I still in that box or did you... Oh man, because oh. I, I I hit a couple three pointers on you. You weren't even guarding me, like you were. You weren't respecting my shot. You were just like,
1: no, I had no respect for you. You were, you were
2: giving me the crossover. You scored on me a couple times, but then I started hitting a couple threes. And did, did that, you th- did that change at all? Okay, so I don't even remember don't that remember part. That? Okay, I remember, remember, remember
1: you guarding me and me thinking there's no way that this pastor knows anything about basketball. Right. And so I was because like, I was
2: a conservative, right? Conservative, yeah. Especially conservative pastors would be. They're not.
1: not competitive. They don't believe in competition. So I'm like, why, why is he even out here right. and he's not going to stop me? So, like, that's my mindset when I. And here's what I remember you crossed over on me two or three times
2: and schooled me. The fourth time I stole it from you. Did you? And then two or three times I hit a three on you because you were not <laughs> respecting my shot. And so I, I, I got the, I put you in this box. This guy is cocky. Uh-huh. He has a high opinion of his basketball skills. Well, that's, that's another conversation.
1: I think you were dead on. <laughs> I, I, put, I put you in a box too. And so what did that say about me? If I was cocky and I had a high opinion of my basketball skills? That you needed to... Know the gospel <laughs> that I needed to be <laughs> humble. I'll tell
2: you about a year and a half or so later, I, I learned I-, I met a new a different Richard. He was no longer in that box, at least in my mind. but I guess we're getting way ahead of yeah ourselves let's uh... here. let's we'll go back. So
1: <laughs> I don't need to know about your childhood unless you feel like it ties in with your view of who God was in your life, who God was, and what it did to your behavior and who you thought about yourself or what you thought about yourself. So wherever that place feels Mm. to start, like start there, like who you were, who God was.
2: Well, I'll just say about my childhood, um, I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, First six years I had some church influence because my grandmother from my dad's side would take me to church, but my parents divorced when I was six. I was born in Brazil, came to the U.S., and did most of my schooling in public school. So I didn't have that uh, Adventist culture, growing up, going to Adventist schools, going to Sabbath school and church, you know, in my teenage years. But you said your people were Adventist, though? On my dad's side. My mother's side, Catholic. My dad's side, Adventist. But my mother and father divorced when I was six. My mom basically came to the U.S. with my sister and me, and we basically totally disconnected from the whole family in Brazil, including my dad and his side of the family. So there was no Adventist influence in my life from the age of 6 to 16. No relationship with my dad. They didn't know where we were. and Did he continue to be an Adventist? So my dad had a really wild life even though he was raised in the Adventist Church, but addicted to sex, uh, had you know, my my mother was pregnant out of wedlock. He got another woman pregnant. I have a sister that's my age. While they were married,
1: he, he got another lady pregnant.
2: They weren't even married yet. But I I have a sister that's my age that I didn't know about till I was sixteen. So I mean, without getting into all the details, my dad was one of those raised in the Adventist Church, but just went wild in his late teenage, early twenties, and just. Did a lot, caused a lot of damage. And uh, my mother was raised Catholic and, you know, had me when she was 17. And they eventually got married. But by the time I was six, my mom was in her early 20s. She was ready. She was done with that. And so she found a way to migrate to the United States with my sister and me and just basically dropped off the map.
1: Okay, well, help me, help me here. Your parents meet in Brazil. Oh, yeah. We're all from Brazil. And your parents were both Brazilians. Both
2: Brazilians. I was born in
1: Brazil. And so at an early age, she's like, this thing's whack. I need to get to the United States with my babies. Yeah. And well, they're divorced at this time. Yeah, they
2: divorced when I'm six. And my mother, the United States was like a place where she could go and work and actually make a living because she was you know, dropped out of high school, no college education, life in Brazil is hard enough as it is, but for a single mom with no high school education, Mm -hmm. it was basically impossible. So she found her way to the United States, as many have done, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah. Did your
1: dad stay in Brazil?
2: My dad stayed in Brazil, and basically he didn't know where we were. For 10 years, he was trying to figure out where we were. That's a Totally different story in itself. And when he was, uh, when I was sixteen, he discovered where we were. We were living in Oklahoma. And uh, this is not probably not what you wanted to know, but my dad was uh, a coyote. You know what a coyote is?
1: I know what the animal is. What is no, a coyote? So
2: is? my dad would bring people from Brazil through um, Central America and Mexico illegally through the border. People that wanted to migrate illegally to the United States. And my dad. And he would get paid to do this. Yeah, he would get paid lots of money to do this. And when I was 16, my dad uh, found out where we were living. We were living in Oklahoma City at the time. And so on this particular trip, his plan was after he got through the border in Texas with his group that he was uh, transporting from Brazil to the United States, he would make his way up to Oklahoma City and surprise us. Well, on this particular trip, he gets caught and goes to jail, prison in Texas and uh, spent 10 months and was finally released and he's never been able to step foot in the United States ever since. That was uh, 22 years ago.
1: Wait, wait, when, but, when was the last time you saw your dad? Then? Were oh, you but, but, but here's what
2: happened. Here's what happened. Uh, after he spent this time in prison uh-huh. and returned to Brazil, uh, he got in contact with one of my aunts, my mom's sister, and let my mom know through her sister that he really wanted to see us and my mother finally agreed to let him know you know where we were which he already did anyways and he contacted us I was sixteen and so got this phone call from my dad and he's basically telling me that he wants to have a relationship with me he'd like to see me and so I decided that I would spend a summer in Brazil this was when I was sixteen and At this time, my dad is re-baptized into the Adventist church and is basically kind of getting his act together. His time in prison kind of led him to this, uh, I don't know if it was a Genuine repentance, but you know he was basically scared. His view of God to this day, I would say, is not an accurate or healthy view of God. It's a it's a fear based religion. You know, when I do things right, God is happy with me, and when I do things wrong, God is angry with me. But that's that that has been his experience throughout his life. Yeah. When he was in prison, he basically decided that I I need to turn my life over to God, and so he he was rebaptized. And I spent this summer in Brazil. Uh, between my um, sophomore and junior year in high school, reconnected with my dad and reconnected with his side of the family, which was Adventist. So I spent those two months that summer in Brazil attending church. And this is where... What,
1: what part of Brazil? Rio de Janeiro. Oh, wow, that's... Yeah. So you spent... And for people who... I, I Actually, I think we do have a few people that listen to this thing in Brazil, but talk to me about... And let the people kind of understand what church is like in Brazil compared to here in this country and like who attends church and who like who doesn't attend church. Because this was like when I went down to Brazil, this is probably the only foreign country I've ever really spent time in. Oh, really? I was blown away um, by the church culture. Explain that a little bit. Well, there's
2: definitely a lot more young people in the church and uh, there's more. Uh, vibrancy and enthusiasm. That would be my assessment. Um, Church in Brazil is very traditional in the sense that, you know, the Adventist church, it in many ways operates the way it used to operate, maybe 50, 75 years ago here in the United States in terms of like a traditional Adventism. But, uh, you know, Brazil's not as affluent a country, and I think uh, the less affluence there is in a place, the more uh interest in spirituality and so you have a lot more young people and a lot more um uh, involvement in the church uh i think less youth and young adults leave the church um so
1: you know do, and you, that, that's do, you count, some, do would you say they don't leave because this is the social epicenter yes, of their lives exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I was shocked that the older folk would stay home and the younger people would go to church, like on Sabbath afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And then the church was like all these young people, and I was like, "Yo, I'm going to. I live in a place where if it, this amount of young people were at church, we would just be like, we fixed it.
2: You know, we yeah. figured it out." Yep.
1: Um And I'll tell you what
2: happened with me that summer that I went and spent in Brazil, and I was again a young person attending public school. No. Adventism, no religious experience, no relationship with God. I was smoking marijuana, drinking, and just living a really normal teenage life in my world in Oklahoma City. Were you pretty
1: happy with yourself?
2: No, I was depressed, actually, and I was definitely uh, trying to find, you know, happiness and fulfillment and just drinking from the wrong fountains. And Many times I wanted to stop smoking marijuana because I felt guilty because I have this single mom working three jobs, you know, killing herself to make a living, and I'm sitting here taking her money and using it on marijuana. And I just, you know, I was guilty and depressed over that. But you, I couldn't stop. I was kind right. of enslaved to. Did you get into habits.
1: that because you're just a normal kid in public school and yeah. it's around, or? Yeah. Were Peer pressure,
2: seeking it out? Peer pressure. Okay. You know, there were a couple of years from the time I was 12 to 14 where I resisted it. And then when I was 14, I finally gave in. It was just so weird not to do it. And I was hanging out with the athletes. I was into sports. These guys had good grades and, uh, you know, they were my friends and, but they, you know, smoked marijuana, you know, and it was just the, the thing to do. And it just, it wasn't as much taboo anymore by the time I was 14, you know, it was just it's okay. It's not a big deal, you know, it's mm-hmm. just marijuana. And I, I loved it, actually. The reason why I enjoyed it is because I was shy growing up. And mm-hmm. when I would get high, it would just bring me out of my shell and I'd become like the life of the party. And so that made me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Like I was making people laugh and I could carry on conversation with people I didn't know. And so I wasn't physically addicted to marijuana. I was addicted to the fact that it made me feel better about my my person, myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, during these two years from the time I was 14 to 16 where I was just, you know, every day getting high with my friends and doing, you know, partying in the the weekends, um, there were moments where I would just look at myself, look at my mom and just wish I could stop because I didn't want her to find out and didn't want to break her heart. I loved her. Knew that she was just, you know, working so hard just to make a living. And I just didn't feel right about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I was living for myself. And at the end of the day, I would just revert back to doing it because it felt good, you know. And so that that's, that's where I was, the type of life I was living when I finally reconnected with my dad in
1: Brazil when I was 16. So was, um, I asked this question quite a bit. Was there a plan or was there just like... Oh when I get to college or when I get out of high school or or was it just like I'm just living life I
2: had no plan at that point in my life. there was no direction um I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and I didn't have uh the tools to do life you know my mother she did everything she could to raise me, but not a whole lot of mentorship, and uh, my grades were like in. D's and C's, Mm -hmm. and uh, probably if Jesus had not come into my life at that particular juncture, like if I had not given my life to him at that point, I think I would have probably gone into the military. That would have been probably my only option, Mm -hmm. if not something, you know, uh, I think the military would have been a good option. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been, you know, totally just working at McDonald's or Taco Bell And, you know, just... So who was God? um, At this point? Yeah. So uh, I went to Brazil, and I was attending church Sabbath after Sabbath, and I'm not sure I even believed in God in the beginning of that summer, where I was reconnecting with my dad and reconnecting with my family in Brazil and reconnecting with my culture and my my hometown that, that I had been raised in for the first six years. I think that going to church Sabbath after Sabbath, I was bored, hmm. and uh, I kind of had somewhere in the back of my mind that there may be a God, and if he exists, then I better you know, be at least respectful while I'm here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but something happened uh, during that summer. I began to develop friendships with uh, some Adventist young people in some of the churches that I attended week after week with my dad and grandma, mm-hmm. and they were— uh, Young people that had a healthy relationship with God that made living with Jesus attractive. Mm. And that started awakening me a desire to have what they had. And uh, one in particular kind of uh, mentored me and invested time in me and kept you know in contact with me and uh, just under you know observing him made me want what he had. And so when I came back to the United States after that two-month vacation mm-hmm. time, You and your dad were cool? We were cool, yeah. We, we, we had a good—we we developed actually a pretty good relationship. Um, and it was like—he filled a void in my life. You know, no father, there was a void. And uh, having that friendship with him was really great, actually.
1: It was good for me. Was he like uh, strict, or was he like— contrite like oh man i've I've missed so much of your life like how was he and how did like did he seem super happy to see you and be oh he was thrilled he would often be teary-eyed in my presence
2: and he was dealing with a lot of remorse probably thinking about the 10 years he missed but grateful that we were reconnecting and i had no resentment towards him which i'm sure he was grateful for and our relationship actually was very good right off the bat it was as if that 10 year gap almost hadn't even existed because mm. I held no resentment towards him, even though he, you know, really messed up with my mom, but I just decided I was going to give him a chance. And interestingly, even though he was recently re baptized and reconnected with the Adventist church and had lived a wild life in the world, he was actually a very legalistic and very <laughs> uh, conservative Adventist because. That's how his mother was, my grandmother, whom I love. But, you know, she uh, just has so many scruples and so many, you know, tri- very traditional um, Adventist. And this so is he, interesting. he had that.
1: This is interesting because I have found in my experience, and maybe it's different in other people's experience, that the people that end up messing up, and messing up not in a way like, that a normal, just regular Seventh-day Adventist messes up where they didn't do something they want to do, but, like, messes up and, like, leaves the like, church. goes deep destroys into Destroys yeah. a family. Yep. When they come back, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll hear more about this, when they come back, it's almost like they're making it up to God mm-hmm. for the rest of their life, Yep. and the legalism is heavy. Yep. That's what I've seen from, from my experience. That's right. My dad is compensating. It's a life of
2: compensating for all the damage he caused to other people and all the sins he committed when he was out in the world. To this day, I feel like he is trying to compensate for that through, through lifestyle. Very strict with diet. You know, you can't be in church without a tie-on. Uh, very strict about how he keeps the Sabbath and very uh, judgmental about others— who do not live the Adventist lifestyle the way he believes it should be lived. And this is someone who lived a very wild life for a good 20 years of his life. So it's it's kind of like what Jesus said in Matthew 23, you're straining at the gnat and you're swallowing a camel. He swallowed the camel, you know, th- Throughout the mm-hmm. years that he was out there, just damaging people, you know, getting mm-hmm. women pregnant out of wedlock and not, you know, taking care of kids that he mm-hmm, sure. wed out of wedlock. But then now, very strict about, you know, what he eats and what he doesn't eat, all for religious purposes. Um, but believe it or not, at that point in my life, reconnecting with him and going to church with him and having a relationship with him— was good for me. Sure. No, it's and, all, I mean, and, and, God and, uses and, it. And I um, came back to the United States, you know, started my junior year in high school in Oklahoma City, a new person. I had a, rel- a, rel- a relationship with Jesus, and I was discovering God. I started attending church in Oklahoma City, a church that had no young people. It was a dying, you know, white, typical, you know, Adventist church in mid-America. Who was this God you had a relationship with? Who was he to you? Well, I'll tell you, I I was studying my way into the church. I was doing these lesson guides through the book of Daniel, these uh, Seminars Unlimited Daniel study guides, and uh, I was reading about Daniel and how, uh, you know, God delivered him out of the lion's den, and that was the God, you know, that I was being introduced to, a God that was with Daniel in captivity— a God that loved His people unconditionally, that allowed them to uh, experience the consequences of their poor choices, but did not abandon mm-hmm. them. I, I I really believe that at that juncture in my life, uh, I was introduced to the God of Scripture, and uh, you know, reading through the Gospels and understanding who Jesus was, what he taught, the Sermon on the Mount. I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount in the Good News Bible and just falling in love with the teachings mm-hmm. of Jesus, the philosophy of Jesus. And I was baptized about three months after that. And uh, one thing that happened leading up to my baptism, you know, I was addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. That was another thing that, you know, with marijuana and pornography, there were, those were two things that even before I even had an interest for God or— you know, before I went to that trip to Brazil where I found Jesus, um, I was trying to stop. You know, I, I felt terrible mm-hmm. about these things I were do- I was doing, you mm-hmm. know, and I was enslaved to those habits. Sure. And uh, nobody knew about them. It's not like I was trying to stop doing these things so that I could get baptized. It had nothing to do with that. The pastor didn't know about it. These were just things that I had struggled with now for three years. Mm-hmm. But as I was, you know, making that decision for baptism and, you know, solidifying my decision for Jesus, I remember praying and saying, God, you know, free me from this. I don't want to be enslaved to these habits anymore. And I'm telling you, uh, I experienced victory. I experienced freedom. So, and never again. Like, the idea, the desire for marijuana has never again resurfaced. It was— Freedom. It was like the chains were broken.
1: So, this was just like a conversation one night where you're just like, okay, I'm done. And you asked him for freedom and he did it. Yes. Do you know that that's a, it sounds very rare for me to hear like that you're just like, okay, I'm done. And you're done. Now,
2: I I tell you, I had made those type of statements before to myself during my, you know, three years in those, uh, Habits and I would be right back in it. This time it was in prayer to God, and I was really done. Like Hmm. I was no longer struggling. I was done. Wow. Never again. I walked away from those uh, practices, and they have no allurement. You know what I mean? It was like it was was done. Praise the Lord. I didn't have uh, an addiction to cigarettes or alcohol, and I've heard others share similar stories about their addiction to alcohol and. You know, whatever else it could be, sex. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many uh, things that enslave us that we know we don't want to do, but we keep doing them. You know, the experience of Romans 7. And I I experienced freedom. Jesus gave me freedom. and uh, So this is your junior year? This is my junior year in high school. I was baptized in December, so it was between uh, Christmas break of... My junior year in high school that I was baptized, I was attending a public school. After my baptism, I decided I wanted to attend an Adventist school. There was a little Adventist school called Parkview Adventist Academy in Oklahoma City, K-12, kind of like Midland. Uh-huh. And I enrolled in there. I was uh, working at a restaurant, waiting on tables, and uh, paid my way through uh, the rest of my junior year and my senior year in high school. Wow, man. So what did, your, what did your mom think? My mother at first thought that my dad had brainwashed me and she was actually not excited about the idea that I was going to become an Adventist. She had developed a very negative view of Adventism because of my father, rightfully so. I didn't blame her for that. But um, she saw the change in time, and she knew I was a different person. One day I sat down with her and I said, Mom, I want to let you know something. I was smoking marijuana for two years, two, two, three years of my life. She couldn't believe it. She was shocked. But by the time I had that conversation with her, she knew that that chapter was long closed in my life. So she wasn't angry. She was shocked. Right. And uh, my mother eventually made her decision for Jesus and joined the church. Um, Wow and actually took my uh, journey very seriously after that. And, of course, later I went and studied for the ministry,
1: and she's been very supportive of me all along, ever since. So you're a senior now, you're at Parkview, you graduate from there. What's the plan with life? So during my senior year at Parkview, I started sensing a call to ministry. How'd you
2: you sense that? Um, I... First thing that happened on a Friday night, I was at somebody's house. It was like a small group Bible study, and there was nobody to lead out, and I just kind of took charge, and I was not a leader. I was not a young person that you know would be upfront speaking or had the leadership qualities that you find in some young people. Uh-huh. I was a follower, but on that evening, I just felt impressed You know that I needed to take charge, and I let out in a Bible study, and people were blessed. I received affirmation. I started preaching, not just in my church, but other churches. This was happening during my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. This was a young person that a year and a half ago was smoking marijuana in a public school, mm-hmm. and now I'm attending an Adventist school. I'm preaching in the Adventist churches in the Oklahoma City area, And I was receiving affirmation. What were you preaching about? I was preaching, I remember I uh, started reading this book called Christ's Object Lessons. I've heard of it. (laughs) I just fell in love with it, and so I was preaching on the parables of Jesus. Every sermon was a different parable. And I have to say, I didn't really know how to study the Bible very well, and so I was kind of using Ellen White as a commentary on the parables. Mm -hmm. Of course, today I would probably preach uh, those sermons differently, but— One thing I think I had even back then was the gift of being able to understand something and communicate it clearly. And to this day, people tell me that they find that I have that gift of Mm -hmm. being able to express complex thoughts and make them simple. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my sermons were blessing people. At least that was the message I was getting. And as as that affirmation kept coming from others— it developed in me this sense that God was calling me to ministry, and another thing that also came about—I wasn't like the class pastor. I don't think Parkview had that type of thing, but unofficially, I was kind of like the class pastor. Uh, young people in the school would open up to me and ask for, you know, spiritual advice, mm-hmm. and I could tell that I was having an impact on my fellow classmates, and so I—I I sensed that God was calling me to ministry because I was getting affirmation from people around me that God was using me Mm. in that way. And so I decided that I would study for the ministry. Initially, Southwestern or Southern were the schools. Mm -hmm. My principal highly recommended Southern. I was in Oklahoma City, so Southwestern was naturally the school that I would look into. And then I met a group of young people from... um, a little school, a little self-supporting school, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, not Oklahoma City, just outside of Oklahoma City, and uh, this uh, little self-supporting school eventually became Watchtower Hills College in Arkansas, okay. which is a self-supporting school, a uh, college. They may they have majors in ed- ed- education and theology, and there were young people from this school that had studied at Heartland College. Mm-hmm. And so these young people, they were call porters, they were Bible workers, um, and they just really impressed me. Their spirituality really um, attracted me. What and was it, do you think? They were strict, and I and I associated strict with spirituality. They were strict in the sense that they were following um, health and dress and other uh, Adventist— um, Sure. Lifestyle practices very carefully. And I associated that immediately with piety and spirituality. And so I thought to myself, I want to I wanna go where they're going.
1: And- I, I think something we were talking about as we were walking up here, and about how you and I think, I think that there's also, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but there's something about structure and parameters that appeal to people like you and I, like organization, oh, yeah. structure. Oh, yeah. And would you say that that aspect of the strictness in knowing exactly what to do and what not to do and that it's all spelled out, do you think that was part of the attraction to you? Absolutely.
2: I think that that's part of my personality, but also as a new Christian, sometimes I've, I've found that a lot of new Christians— they they want a rule-oriented religion where it's just easier rather than have to think through issues. You just have the do's and don'ts spelled out for you, and that was something that also attracted me. Um, and so, again, in my case, I had a lot of freedom as a young person. My single mother, not a lot of time to micromanage, so mm-hmm. I had a lot of freedom, and I I mostly used my freedom – well, except for, of course, I got into, like I said, marijuana, and I was not getting good grades, but I didn't, you know, abuse it too much, I don't think, but when I, when I was, you know, looking for a college, definitely that structure, that, that organization, and that, um, you know, yeah, all of that appealed to me, conservatism really appealed to me. And there were things about it that made sense, you know, like healthy living. And by the way, today, Richard, mm-hmm. I'm a vegan. I, I you know, oh, I, I, yeah. I, I practice healthy living, but it's totally disassociated with how God thinks about me. It's disassociated from religion in the sense that it has nothing to do with right. God seeing me in a better light. But even if I were to become an atheist, I probably would still be... yeah. A vegan because it just makes sense and even back then it made sense but it was also like wow this makes me a better adventist this makes me a better christian i'm better than those people over there that still eat meat so
1: wait (laughs) don't jump ahead too far you're seeing that in these kids how soon after you get to heartland or you start there how soon did you start adopting this as your identity and those thoughts and those feelings of I'm doing it better than somebody else? How long did it take for those to happen? And that was just before kind of- I got to Heartland, believe it or not, because
2: I went and I call Porter in the summer between my high senior year of high school and my freshman year at Heartland, and by then I had already embraced that ultra conservative Adventist lifestyle as part of my identity. This is who I am in Christ, and therefore I'm I'm better than others. That was already—and I think part of that might have even been something I inherited from my dad. Because during the time I had spent with my dad, by now two summers with my dad, my dad was very judgmental as an Adventist, even though he had had his experience in the world. But like we said, as a way of compensating— you know, he had had such a bad life in the world, done so many bad things. So now he had to feel better about himself. So he often compared himself with others to make himself feel better about himself. And I think that I might have it developed some of those bad habits from him. Mm-hmm. And so I remember my uh, summer canvassing between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college – I f- I found myself judging others who weren't as strict in their diet or weren't waking up as early to study the Bible. I found myself feeling better about me by comparing myself with others. That was already happening yeah. before I went to Heartland.
1: So let me ask you this question, because, and I want to be careful here, but like this weekend, I was hearing some like uh, some of my friends. I was talking with Harold and Jonathan. They're talking about at a Hispanic church on a Sabbath morning. Um, an elder will get up, and this is not all Hispanic churches, it's just, just part of the story, will get up and say, some Latter-day Saints came to my house, or some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house, and I mm. told them the truth about the Sabbath. And it's like during Sabbath school and they get up front, and they, mm. they tell this story about how they stood up for what was right to these Jehovah's Witnesses are to these Mormons, and they tell the story to the church. And at the end of the story, Hmm. the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormon, they walk away, and there is no resolution. Nobody is on the same page, but somebody stood up for what was right. Somebody won the argument. Yes. And I hear that, and I'm like, yo, so, like, like there's no... no And then... There's this stereotype, like, when you're describing this kind of person that you were. My dad was very much that way, by the way. I think that person doesn't seem loving. That person doesn't, like, I don't want to affiliate. I don't want to kick it with that person. Mm -hmm. Like, did you find that this way of thinking just, or just lended itself to this? Or were there a lot of people that didn't think that way you started to think that we involved in this. Okay,
2: so um, I was the kind of person that didn't externalize how I was feeling as much. Mm-hmm. So you probably would have spent a whole summer with me canvassing and you wouldn't have known that I was so judgmental. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Some people are more obnoxious about it. I was more likable. My dad, he's more vocal. So if you were to spend some time with my dad, you would probably be turned off by how judgmental he is of others. Whereas at that stage in my life, and I've always kind of been this way, I was very critical in my mind, kind of like Simon in that story, Simon the Pharisee who invited Jesus over yeah, for Yeah, Luke Supper. chapter 7, right? Luke chapter 7, and you have this woman, she's over there washing Jesus' feet with perfume and wiping it with her hair. Simon is sitting there judging Jesus and saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. Right. But if you read the story, Simon never actually said that. Jesus just calls it out? Jesus just calls it out. It says, Simon said within himself. Mercy. Simon actually never said to anybody, much less to Jesus. So externally, Simon was still being very respectful of Jesus, still calling him rabbi and teacher, and still smiling at Jesus, but internally he was toxic in how he was thinking about Jesus and allowing her to do that. Hmm. That, was my experience, even before I went to college. Something happened, um, and it was towards the end of my senior year. It has much to do with who I was listening to, mm-hmm. preaching. Mm-hmm. I started listening to one particular preacher who I, today I would say very toxic, mm-hmm. a toxic Adventism. I'm not going to say his name, but sure, I'll say this. Pentecost 2000, go to YouTube and type that in. <laughs> it, was, it was a revival meeting happening on 3ABN. And uh, I was I had I had acquired three ABN and I mean I was on fire for Toxic God. Toxic
1: Adventism. That sounds like a name of a book or of, of a book or something. So I was I was having
2: this spiritual revival, Richard. It was a genuine experience. God was working in my life, mm-hmm. and I know I acquired this antenna for to watch three ABN. I wanted to watch three ABN like four hours a day. Like I was no longer <laughs> addicted to video games. I wanted to be on three ABN all the time. And I was listening to, to Doug. 3ABN. I was listening to Doug Batchelor and Ty Gibson, and I mean, it, they were all on 3ABN at that time. And there was this one revival series called Pentecost 2000, and I listened to it. And I mean, it was just this re- series of revival meetings. But if you really sit and listen to it, there's a toxicity about it hmm. that um, I drank in. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, it's kind of if you read Galatians chapter three. The Galatians, they came into this experience in the Spirit, but then Paul says, who has bewitched you? Right. You know, you started in the Spirit, but now you are you are following this course that is leading you back where you started. And if you continue, you're going to be right back where you were a few years ago, servants of the flesh. And so anyways, you know, it's hard to give you the, it's almost like we're
1: right, but we're not love. And like we 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 hang our flag on being right. And that's what Dan Muller always talks about. He's like, do you want to be right? Yeah. Or do you want to be love? Yeah. And we've decided that we say that we can be right and we're also being loving. Um, and I don't know if we've figured it out a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah.
2: So how did I end up at Heartland? Three things. Probably my dad, although he didn't know anything about Heartland, but his influence yeah. kind of made me more prone to a legalistic Adventism. Then it was listening to toxic preaching, mm-hmm. toxic Adventist preaching. And then number three would be making friends with lovely young people, sincere young people that were on fire for Jesus, but that were externally living this lifestyle that appealed to me and made me feel like this is true Adventism. I need to go where Mm -hmm. I can get that. Mm -hmm. And so, long story short— I'm 19, and I'm studying theology at Heartland. Pastoral evangelism was the name of the course, four-year course. I'm so glad I went. I don't met, know very much about met, Heartland. Met my wife there. We we both studied for ministry there. How, how big of a school is it? About 80 students at the time. Um, interestingly, very diverse. Every continent represented. Over 20 countries within those 80 students. It was like this beautiful multicultural family of young adults uh, very ultra conservative, although externally uh, ultra conservative. Internally, there was a large spectrum of where they all were in terms of what they really felt about that. Uh-huh. Um, but if you talk to my wife, lovely experience, like just, you know, traveling the world, singing in a choir, studying the Bible, and doing ministry. And of course, There was a lot there that, you know, we would learn and hear in the classroom. Today we listen and talk about it and reminisce, and we're like, man, that was just nonsense. You know, there were some weird ideas and weird people and (laughs) a lot of toxic, um, uh, a lot of toxicity, but honestly, uh, we would have it no other way. It was the journey that God allowed us to go on. Sure. We met each other there, and we have uh, developed an experience that—
1: Well, don't jump ahead too far. I I want to go into some of this. Go for it. So Jesus is this person who saved you from these patterns that you were living in. Yes. You're free. Yes. You come into this Adventism that is, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's still some work to do like it, yeah. it just sounds very legalistic galatians uh, and so what did you believe the work was for you to do and how could you tell you were doing it right and how could you tell that that the other the, the, the rest of us didn't get it
2: living the lifestyle that ellen white counsels in her books about diet testimonies for the church and which which really boils down to a nineteenth century lifestyle in mm-hmm. many ways. Um, but of course, healthy living, dressing a certain way, and that was my identity as a Christian. Mm-hmm. It was less with how I treat others. Mm-hmm. I think that was that was what Jesus was trying to emphasize in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's like at the end of the day, what really reveals whether you're in the spirit is how you respond to others and how you relate to others. It's
1: not all this. So how were ex- you responding to others at this time?
2: And this is, again, I was, I was a very nice person. I was um, always kind. I was a very servant-oriented person throughout this. So I was not a mean person. I wasn't—
1: So it was you know, more about the inside of the cup.
2: Sometimes we stereotype ultra-conservative Adventists and we think that they're just all mean people. And Melissa— just a nice person
1: right?
2: that's why she was such a successful cult i mean just a, a lovely young person who was kind service oriented uh, not judgmental her dad's an atheist and he was ne- she was never you know the kind of person that was judgmental or mm-hmm. you know obnoxious or disrespectful to her dad i was probably the kind of person that was meaner to people that were part of my family whether they were adventist or not that were not following this lifestyle Hmm. but I was mostly nice to everybody else. When I say mean, I would just externalize my judgmental right. thoughts. Why Does can't that make you guys sense? figure this exactly. out? Exactly. And it wasn't that I was yelling at people or cursing at anybody. No, it was just that I was less tactful with people that were closest to me. And I think I drove away my mother and my sister To this day, they're not Adventists, probably because of me and how I was acting and behaving during those years I was studying at Heartland. I turned them away from Adventism and from Jesus, probably, because— How how did you—did you know that that's what you were doing? No, no, of course not. This is all in hindsight, right? Today, I'm looking back and I'm saying, wow, you know, I did a lot of damage during those years to my immediate family— um, but of course, even like already within my first year at Heartland, God was correcting all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and his correcting this was not this thing that happened in a day. It was a journey of understanding that my standing with God, mm-hmm. my, my what he feels and thinks about me, is totally unrelated to my diet and my dress and my performance. my re- recreation habits yeah. and my, my performance, my living the Avenist lifestyle. And so today I have a view of the Avenist lifestyle that is very high. Like I have a high view of the Avenist lifestyle. I have a deep appreciation for it, but it's in a totally different context than when I was at that phase in my journey. Like today I appreciate it for what it really is just a healthy way to live it's a blessing but it's it's like the jews uh, avoiding mold in the house or not eating unclean foods it was just a good way to live but it wasn't what made them right sure in god's eyes did you
1: have assurance of salvation
2: um no no there was uh, a lack of that assurance because your standing with God is related to your performance and your Adventist lifestyle. And, you know, like there was a phase where I was eating two meals a day, but I was overeating. And so, you you know, you're always messing up somewhere. So there's always this concern. Am I not living up to the light? This is so sad because you were. I'm not living up to all the light. That's, that's a common language. It's Ellen White language, but I think we use it in a way that she didn't intend. Like she talks about how, you know, when, when we're in the spirit and we're following Jesus, we're going to live up to all the light that we have. Well, then we start piling on, you know, what that means. And so you learn that you're not supposed to, you know, eat between meals and drink with your meals and eat two meals a day and not overeat. And you're supposed to go for a walk after you eat. So you have all these things you're trying to keep up with in terms of living up to the light and if you're standing with God for your salvation is all tied to that then there's never any assurance. We, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Did probably doesn't, let's be honest. I mean, you can't well, I mean, relate you sense. can't relate to any
1: of this. <laughs> no, I can relate to some of it because but at a but lesser there degree. But there's somebody
2: listening to this podcast that probably can relate to a lot of this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like they can actually they may have so been through a very. So
1: w- when were you going to get assurance then? If you were living it that close, and even that close, you weren't assured of salvation.
2: I don't think assurance of salvation was even a thing. You know what I mean? It's That's like, not a
1: thing that you like are supposed to have.
2: And you're supposed to have it, but you're not supposed to be like relaxed. Why? <laughs> Why? <not? laughs> because Jesus said you should strive. Right. Where? And striving doesn't sound, <laughs> strive to enter at the narrow gate. Okay. So, striving, but then in Hebrews 4, it says, strive to enter into his rest, right? <laughs> so um, Which one is it? <laughs> so, but yeah, there's a lot you can, you know. There, so, that's the, not even a thought that you can rest in if, this. If you're emphasizing passages that talk about strive to enter in at the... Sh- narrow gate. And there's so many passages, you know, doing using the proof text method, method, you can develop a Bible study that can basically destroy the thesis of assurance because you're not really supposed to be relaxed, right? You're supposed to be striving. You're supposed to be, you know, working hard at this. And so um, I think that it wasn't so much that somebody was in the classroom saying that you shouldn't have assurance of salvation. They probably would have said the opposite. They probably would have said, yes, we should have assurance of salvation. But depending on how you're reading the Bible and what passages you're emphasizing, you're communicating a theology that says you should be always trying to perform better in order to
1: In theory, it's righteousness by faith. But in practice, it's a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, the whole goal is to go and tell people about Jesus and how he can free you only to put them under this other stuff to actually have a shirt. like that's my problem with it is that we're supposed to tell people about this whole thing and say, "Jesus loves us, He's freed us and and tell them about the good news, and afterwards, they're like, so we're we're going to be able to be in heaven." and you're just like well I, I hope so like and we're not even like the whole goal is not even heaven the goal is heaven has come down here and the kingdom of heaven is here now it's in us and we've made it about this thing that happens one mm-hmm. day when we pass yeah and we're not even so sure about what's going to happen yeah that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense to me a
2: lot of it i believe is a misreading of the bible and ellen white and I think it's a hermeneutics problem. It's, you know, because I want to I wanna be fair. There are a lot of sincere, I was very sincere. I mean, I'm telling you, I was a sincere young person. I was just wanting to do sure. God's will.
1: And so. Beautiful heart. Your heart was. Yeah.
2: And God, God, he's so good that he sees all of that. And so, you know, we're, sometimes we get it wrong theologically and we're saying things and we're emphasizing things in ways we shouldn't. And God somehow, I mean, he used my dad. And I'll be honest with you, I would never have my dad preach in my church. I've told him that. You know, I love my dad. Mm-hmm. I have a good relationship with him, but I would never have him teach a Sabbath school in my church. But God used my dad when sure. I was 16. So God is so good, and he's merciful. And, i you know, there were so many good people in our college days there at Heartland. They were balanced, and they actually were— Giving uh, a balanced picture of, of God, even there, and God used them to help. Because uh, already, you know, like I said, my freshman year of college, I was probably ultra conservative for Heartland. I mean, that's that's how deep I was going into trying to make it.
1: Yeah, talk to me about uh, the meal thing. Like you told yeah. me earlier, you would. You so, you know, pulled... if you read
2: councils on diets and foods, Ellen White talks about how two <laughs> meals is best. And so, you know. You're just trying to follow all the counsel and live up to all the light. So I was a skinny. I was probably weighing 150. Now I'm 135. Uh, but I was, you know, probably needing to gain some weight. But I decided I'm going to do this two-meal-a-day thing because that's what, you know, Ellen White is You want all the counseling. light. I'm trying to follow all the light. And I would just be so hungry at supper, you know, working outside because at Heartland you study in the morning, you work in the afternoon, which I thought was a great model. To this day I think is a good model. Um, And so by the time I was done with work and it was supper time, I would walk by the cafeteria and I'd be hungry, you know, but I'd just go to the dorm and just craving that third meal and denying myself, you know, depriving myself. Kind of like it was a form of asceticism, kind of like Martin Luther, you know, that – that mentality of uh, depriving the body of
1: needs as a way of uh, pleasing God, and that puts you in better standing in your mind with God.
2: Uh, I, I guess you know, it was just like I, you wouldn't I have said that to it, me then. I, I but tied maybe it you to right, ri- I tied it to righteousness, and you know, my relationship with God. And but the funny thing is, I would overeat. I found myself overeating for lunch and having indigestion, you know, cuz it's like if you're not going to have that third meal, then you really make up for it at lunchtime. And so it was it was unhealthy physically, not just mentally. <laughs> you know, and you're trying unhealthy cuz you're trying to be
1: healthy.
0: Yeah,
2: and that happens a lot, you know. You 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 um
1: you stress about health to the point where you become unhealthy. And so uh, I was talking to my friend Kessia Rain this weekend and she was talking about how diets are like Roman seven. They're like setting up these parameters. Mm. It's like the more rules and the more moralizing you do around food, mm. the more you buck at it. Mm. And that's why diets don't actually end up working. Mm. Like you end up falling back and even gaining more weight. Yeah. The problem is the thing that does work is you know deciding to change your lifestyle and, and eat healthy. For the right reason. Yeah. For but, the right reason, yeah. But you do a diet because you want to lose weight fast. Mm. you Like a lifestyle change will allow you to to be healthy over time. Maybe you gain more weight, maybe you don't, mm. but it's like you have a healthy body because you're living a health. but we're – like vanity comes in, and maybe we don't even want the healthy body, but we want it to look like we have the healthy body. Mm. Um, but just thinking of that, you were being unhealthy in order – And like I said, I'm not sure you would have said, oh, this makes me more righteous. I wouldn't have said that.
2: Of course not. Because that's that's not... That's legalism. That's legalism. (laughs) But it's a subtle or not so subtle form of legalism, but you're not explicit about it.
1: And I'm very positive that we would go to this school today or any one of these schools and say, are you guys legalist? And not one person on staff would be like, yeah, we're legalist. Nobody who's legalist, I think, knows that they're legalist and they actually fight against it. They don't want to be legalist. It's not a positive label. No. But there's a lot of legalism.
2: And it's interesting because, you know, legalism, as I've come to understand it, is actually something that you'll find everywhere in Adventism, not just in ultra-conservative circles. Legalism is a preoccupation with your legal standing with God. Hmm. And so you'll find that in every circle. You'll find that at GYC. You'll find it at one project. A preoccupation with your legal standing with God. And so in a more progressive circle, it's just making sure you have the right formula for salvation. And as long as you have that, then you have a right standing with God. It's a legal standing. It's a concern that you are right with God. And really, I don't think if you understand God as who He really is, you wouldn't be so concerned with His view of you. But you know, you know, He, we, you would, pro- if you, you really know, understand, you, you know, it's... His posture towards you does not shift based on your performance or even you having the right formula in your head about salvation. Does that make sense?
1: Well, of course it does, because if you're wondering. If someone, if we're in this church and on Sabbath, someone preaches and they say, if if the asteroid that was supposed to hit earth does hit earth and it lands in this church right now, how many of you will have salvation? If you start thinking about how you're doing, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. You're like, how did Jesus do? Well, he showed up every day perfect, Mm -hmm. every single day. And on the last day, he was hanging there, and he was like, these guys don't even know what they're doing, or else they wouldn't be doing this to me. Yeah. And then he rose from the dead, even from that. Mm-hmm. So if you think the asteroid is going to hit the church, and you're considering how you've been doing, you don't get it. Yeah. That's why, like, legalism is a preoccupation of our legal standard. Like, it's about Jesus, he who knew no sin... Yeah. ...became sin... So that yes. we might be the righteousness of God that's in Christ. right
2: see if I have a, ha- a a healthy marriage, my wife and I are both keeping the law of marriage we're not cheating on each other and we're treating each other with decency and everything but we're not preoccupied with our legal standing with each other a healthy marriage you're not thinking about rules you're not thinking about you know you should code. Probably be
1: loving that person you know you you'
2: you're, you're you're just living your lives together and you're basically, your lives are in agreement with the law of marriage, but you're not thinking about it. It's just a part of who you are in a healthy marriage. So I don't have to tell her, don't go off with other men. And she doesn't
1: have to tell me, you know, wash the dishes. We're just. Now you're getting me going, bro. You know, it's like if we're, if you're sitting at home and you're just like sitting there like, don't. Don't commit adultery right now. Right. Don't commit adultery. Don't leave the house and go sleep with a prostitute right now. Don't do yep. it. Don't do it. That's like what we were freed from. Yes. You love your wife. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you don't You don't even have to concentrate about going to sleep with a prostitute. You don't even think about other women mm. because you actually love your wife. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Spirit gave you mm-hmm. because Jesus calls us to a higher calling than to not sit there and, and consider the prostitute or mm-hmm. consider another woman mm-hmm. but we think we don't understand that we've been filled with the spirit and that's actually what's allowing us to live the way we wanted to live mm. we still think that the law is going to keep us within that parameter that's right. and when we talk about it like how plainly I just said you're mm. sitting at home trying not you're not going to go sleep with a prostitute because the Ten Commandments said not to mm. what, what would your wife think Mm. If you're sitting there and you're like, babe, mm-hmm. I didn't go sleep with a prostitute today because I you're like what in the world? Yeah, in a healthy, is she re- gonna give you a gold star? In a healthy <laughs>
2: relationship, I'm not concerned with what she thinks of me. I'm secure in her love, and so I'm not preoccupied with keeping a set of rules in order to please her because. I am secure in how she thinks of me. So I'm not preoccupied with that. I'm not constantly stressing about, did I do something to offend her? Right. And I think that that's what I was living during my college years. I was preoccupied with, am I offending God if I have that third meal? Because I've learned now that the inspired pen said, two meals is best, so will God be offended? That's paganism, you know what I mean? Mercy. That is like worshiping the true God, but in the way that the pagans treated the other gods, you know what I mean? Wow. It's a preoccupation with, do we have a right standing with them?
1: Right. Are they angry at us?
2: And then something happened one time, this is funny, you'll laugh, but I was eating uh, beets, from the garden. Sure. Okay. okay. And my bowels were red.
0: <laughs> sure.
2: That never happened to you before. <laughs> no, but my friend okay. Johnny, my friend okay. Johnny has experienced so, this and so freaked him out. This is, you know, you, you, you'll you find this fun, you'll find this crazy, but I thought I was bleeding. Yeah. Right? And, you know, maybe this is related to the fact that I ate too much yesterday. Is God angry? Oh, mercy. Maybe I have colon cancer. You know, this is... This is not freedom in in, in in the spirit. This is not the freedom Sounds I like fear. This is not the freedom that God gave me when I was seventeen, just before my baptism. You know what I'm saying? This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians three. It's like you began in the spirit. What happened? Mercy. Now you are in bondage. You know, you're you're you you've turned back. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm now living this, you know, fear-based experience um, and so years later Richard I'm jumping ahead here but I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease uh-huh. and you know you can google that if you don't know what that is but uh, I remember you know there was a period of about a year that I was in pain without a diagnosis and then finally the diagnosis came and I can't tell you how many times the thought would come you know is this related to a sin I've committed Mercy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not healthy. That type of pattern, that type of thinking is not healthy. It reveals a negative and inaccurate picture of God. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, there is something in Scripture about how our poor choices lead to bad consequences. But to think that when you make a mistake or you sin, that God is going to intentionally punish you in a vengeful way he doesn't have to sin does it sin does it exactly (laughs) like like captivity in the old testament was the natural consequence of their poor choices as a nation yeah and god gave them up to themselves to themselves and so but i didn't understand that and so you know through a number of good people that came and helped balance that picture out reading good books studying yeah. the bible
1: when was the first time you were like i might not like this might not be it when when did that first thing come where you're just like ooh this like i don't want to be legalist and that might be a legalistic way of thinking i can't
2: necessarily say when the first time was but i remember in my second year at Heartland, i was interacting with some fellow students that were a bit more ultra conservative than me, and that was hard to do at that point because within Heartland there's a spectrum within Heartland. There's the liberal and the ultra conservative within Heartland, which for you, you they
1: do they judge each other by this? Yes.
2: For for you they would all be ultra conservative because they're all at Heartland and they all look ultra conservative, but within that context there's a spectrum. Sure. There are those that end up studying at Andrews, and there are those that would never again go to, never, never dream of going to Andrews. There are those that eat three meals a day, and those that eat two meals a day. There are those that are vegan only when they're at Heartland, and uh-huh. there are those that are always vegan. You know, so there's this spectrum within sure. Heartland. But I would say I was probably more on the ultra-conservative end of Heartland. Uh huh. But there were some that were just a little further out there, and that was pretty far. Okay. And yeah. so. Just one day observing uh-huh. and seeing, you know how crazy they they sounded to me, and I thought to myself, "Do you remember is, the is,
1: conversation? Like what someone was saying?
2: They were like that. It, it was about suspenders. <laughs> you, 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 I'm, I'm not even sure how much. I'm not. I'm not sure how how much I should even get into detail because a lot of your listeners are not going to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I want to
1: hear this. It has
2: to do with suspenders. You know, Ellen White has something to say about. How you should um, not constrict the organs. Okay. Okay. Because back in the 19th century, I don't know if you've seen pictures, but they had some tight...
1: Tight pantalones?
2: Yeah. And so, anyways, she says something about it's healthier to suspend the... I can't. I can't remember the right words, so I won't even be able to quote it right. Don't
1: misquote Ellen White on suspenders, please.
2: But she never says anything about suspenders, but anyways, the interpretation... Was essentially you shouldn't wear belts. Okay, right. And that was how you know. So there was a group, and within, they're talking about Heartland. they're talking
1: about the belts. Yeah,
2: and this is still a thing. If you ever go to an ultra-conservative camp meeting, you probably never will. But if you ever were to go to one, you'll find hey, some men in suspenders. And if you see them in suspenders, now you'll know why.
1: If anyone is listening to this <laughs> and they run an ultra-conservative camp meeting, invite me, man. I'll I'll go. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Hang they're out.
2: all over the place. You'd be surprised. There are many of them in Tennessee. Oh well, yeah. I'll be there in a few. <laughs> so if you see them in suspenders, don't make fun of them. Oh because, no, absolutely because I they are I now, I conscientiously. Now. They're conscientiously following the light, and I'm not. I'm not saying that in a, uh, a mean way. That's where I was. I there was about a at least a year there. Uh-huh. I did not wear a belt. Okay, and uh, that's it's probably weird for most of your listeners, but anyways. So I was listening to these guys arguing about the suspenders and the belt, and that's when it, it hit me. as like, something's not right here. This is, you know, it's kind of like the Pharisees in the first century debating on how many steps they could take on the Sabbath or how much weight they could carry. But if the handkerchief is actually you know, it, sew to your garment, it's part of your garment, so then it's no longer work, it, and all these debates in the first century that we hear about. I don't want let I was, me say
1: this. I don't want to make fun of, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, and maybe that sounded like, I'm, like, I'm just very, like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a surprise to me, and I'm yeah. learning about this, and yeah. maybe my laugh, if yeah. you guys hear, heard that, like. It's at a surprise. Yeah, it's at a surprise. I'm yeah. just like, wow, so please don't take yeah. it as i make trying to make fun of anybody. Right. Or anything, this is just a a new kind of world that I'm learning about. yeah. So please have mercy on me. Even though it's a
2: new kind of world, if you read Romans 14 and if you read 1 Corinthians 8, this is not new. Paul talks about the weak conscience. And in 1 Corinthians 8, he's basically telling the Corinthians who Mm -hmm. are more mature Mm -hmm. in their faith, he's saying, be respectful of those who have a weak conscience— In that context, it was related to people who would not eat foods offered to idols. And he says, not everyone has the knowledge you have that the food offered to idols is still food and the idol is nothing because there's only one God. There were Christians who associated eating foods offered to idols with idolatry. And Paul is saying, if you can't avoid eating Foods offered to idols in their presence because of their weak conscience. So Paul understood this dynamic, that sometimes we are under conviction, right? thinking that we're doing something because God forbids it or because it would be displeasing to God, when in reality, it's just your conscience torturing you because of the way you were led to believe. Wow. And in Romans 14, he does the same thing. He says, some of you restrict your diet. To just vegetables, and some of you eat anything. And there it probably had to do with debates in the Roman Christian church about whether or not they should eat kosher. Right. You know, because there were Jews in Rome and they were very strict about whether the food was kosher. And so they probably decided to just stay safe and just eat a strictly vegetarian diet. It was a vegetarianism for totally different reasons than why Adventists are vegetarian, but nonetheless, Paul says some of you do this, some of you do that, but at the end of the day, just respect each other, yeah, 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 and don't judge each other, Good because advice. everyone will be fully persuaded in their own mind. That dynamic exists in Adventism, but yeah, it's when you think about it, it's kind of silly that we're debating suspenders and belts you know that's and so
1: you're sitting there and you're like this might
2: not be it and i'm just thinking you know there's something wrong here and of course that was one of many experiences and it was a gradual process it was a long process and it involved you know reading and being exposed to people who helped me see things differently but at the mostly it was people that showed me jesus in their character
1: hmm you
2: know what i'm saying absolutely people who were living in freedom hmm And I mean living in freedom, like I said, where you're not preoccupied with your standing.
1: Yeah, you're good, you're in, you know. You're not
2: just not fearful of what others think of you, but you're no longer fearful even of, it's like you're free. Yeah. You're in the spirit. I love it. It's not free in the spirit to now live an immoral life. It's free in the spirit that now your life is in agreement with the law, so you're not stressed about the law. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, your life is in agreement with the law because the spirit that lives in you, the one that yes. rose Jesus from the dead, <laughs> exactly. is, is not going to tell you to That's right. do anything that the law says to not do, That's right. but you're not even considering it because yeah. you're living in love, mm. and love is the thing. Mm-hmm. It's the love of Christ that compels us. That's the thing that motors us and mm-hmm. governs our life. Mm. So why would it disagree with the law? Well, but we're not even thinking about the law. That's right. Um, That's what Paul is talking about. And so you're— you graduate from there, um and and what so, you're you're moving on. So here's what happened. Well while, yeah, while I
2: was studying at Heartland, I decided that I wanted to start a Heartland in Brazil. Hmm. So I wanted to start a self supporting institution, which was basically composed of a lifestyle center and discipleship school. Mm-hmm. So if you've heard of Arise I have, yeah. Okay. It's like a discipleship school it's not a college it's a training school there are schools like that all over and um i decided i wanted to do that in brazil i wanted to start a training school and a lifestyle center lifestyle center if you've been to places like wildwood uchi pines weimar you know these these institutions that focus on teaching people healthy living to um uh prevent uh lifestyle related diseases very successful um programs that I think have their place if you disassociate salvation salvation from living right in other words yeah. you know you're you're trying to deal with diabetes through healthy living that is I'm so into that I Love still it. believe in that but not living healthy in order to appease an angry God, or a God that would be angry if you don't do those things. Right on. Anyway, so uh, I was raising funds while I was a student at Heartland to buy property to start a ministry, and I did that. I want to say God blessed, because even in our misunderstandings and in our so inaccuracies, much. God works with us, right? Yeah, he does. And so, because how would a twenty four-year-old, I mean, we raised a lot of money and bought this beautiful piece of property outside of Rio de Janeiro within an hour from the airport in a beautiful place between Rio and Petropolis, and uh, we started this ministry. I was basically the founder. We created a team, and um, we had a doctor working with us, and we had... um, Bible workers
1: and and is your curriculum it, just kind of stuff you've learned at Heartland? The
2: curriculum was basically uh, very similar to arise. Okay. Probably a more uh, legalistic emphasis in the beginning, although it it became more and more balanced as I grew and my journey. And you were the president. I was. You I were, was. I was. Guy. I was the guy. Yeah. Okay. I did. I taught most of the classes in theology, and then we had other teachers that taught. Um, health. And then eventually we had other teachers sure. that were teaching the theology classes. And it was a solid program. We had a number of graduates that went on to be pastors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say it was a good program. Um, there were emphasis that today I would say I would not give. you know. Right, right. But at the end of the day, we, we studied the Bible. We studied Old Testament history. We studied the gospels we studied pauline epistles it was a uh, very exegetical mm-hmm. in terms of how the classes were
1: um Who, who's god t- right now to you at that at that, at that yeah. journey
2: um I'm, I'm beginning to see more and more that god is more interested in my my heart than my performance huh and that religion is definitely more principle oriented than rule oriented the the religion of the bible the, the 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 life that jesus calls us to live in the bible is more of a principle oriented religion than a rule oriented religion which i believe is largely what paul is saying when he says you are not under the law mm-hmm. you know which is like we were saying in the spirit, your life is in agreement with the law, but you're not stressed about keeping of the law, right? Right. And so, I'm growing in my understanding of who God is and what he is like, as revealed in the person of Jesus, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just this process, and I'm still in it today. I I, I would say I have not graduated from that, you know what I'm saying? Wait, you don't know everything there is to know about God? This is still happening as we speak, and you have been a part of that journey. You know, a couple years ago, we had conversations about theology. Before we
1: get to there, when did you leave Brazil? Why did you leave Brazil?
2: I left Brazil because of my Crohn's disease, um, and it had to do with health care. I was in desperate need of life-saving surgery, and I did not have health insurance in Brazil. It's a one-payer program where basically uh, you have free health care, but that meant waiting two years and dying. So I came back to the United States uh, and was able to get surgery at the University of Virginia Hospital. Melissa was pregnant with our first child. So this isn't that long ago, then. I received a call. This was uh, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. Sorry, (laughs) Abigail just turned seven, so it was eight years ago. Um, I received a call to teach at Heartland and uh, be the chairman of the religion department. And by the way, Heartland at this point is also on a journey. It's definitely changed from what it was when we were students in many Mm -hmm. ways. Um, And I won't get into all the details, but it's a lot healthier in terms of there's less less toxicity and less legalism. Praise the Lord. Um, I, I would say there's still things about it that concern me, you know. Sure, but there's it's, things. It's it's something. It's it. And I think we were part of that growth experience. Like so, we, you we, went, you taught we, there. We, I taught there. I was a chairman of the religion department. There were a number of students that were part of the program there at the time that I was teaching there. That are now pastors here in North America, and so it was a rich experience being able to mentor and work with young people that felt called to ministry, and we were able to really. Share our journey transparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really felt like that was a blessing for them so that they could be more balanced in their view of who God is and, you know, how to do ministry. So I was there for two and a half years and then was called to Montana to pastor. That was my first time pastoring. I'd been called to ministry all this time, but for a good 16 years, I was not a pastor in the traditional right. sense of sure. pastoring a church. This is really my second district here in Kansas City. Um, so this is my second uh, assignment in pastoral ministry. Um,
1: and uh, yeah. So you you get on this, you leave Heartland, you're over in Montana. Um, fast forward, I meet you in the office. And then a couple months, a few months later, or we're playing some basketball together. Mm. And then you and I, have a conversation one night at basketball. Uh, is that where you were going? Yeah. So what happened there, man? Yeah, I mean,
2: honestly, I felt like I had put you in a box, just like you put me in a box. Right? We're all so judgmental. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. You know, and so you were on fire for Jesus, and like you couldn't stop talking about the Bible, and that was totally not the Richard that I thought I had met when I was visiting.
1: Yeah, what Checking the Richard the you out. met when you were visiting. Yeah. It, it, was you, that you, was it nice Richard visiting and then basketball Richard made, was it the different one? Or did you know from the beginning, I don't know about this guy.
2: Yeah, from the beginning I put you in a box and honestly, it was largely what you have told me, you know, that you were kind of, and, and in the basketball court it kind of revealed it, just kind of yeah. arrogant. Sure. You know, I'll say it. You had me in a box, I had you in a box. I think... It was probably uh, just that toxic mentality. I think we need to do less of that, judge each other. especially. I, I didn't even know who you were. I was judging you based on externals anyways, and that's not good. I don't know how much of it was accurate, but that's—I didn't see you— were You were pretty accurate. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't see you as a committed follower of Jesus. I saw you as a cultural Adventist, principal of the school— and to me, that meant nothing. If you're a pastor or you're a principal of a school or a president of a conference, that means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't tell me your level of commitment to Jesus. That's just, and that maybe that's wrong,
1: but that's just how I've always seen it. So my level of commitment because of the basketball was like, ah, eh, probably doesn't know much.
2: No what I what I discovered on one particular night playing basketball, and I guess something was happening in your life you were like on fire for God and you couldn't stop talking about the gospel and you couldn't stop talking about Jesus and the freedom that he had given you. And I'm like, this is not who I thought Richard was. Right. But then you told me that you had just also recently had a personal revival of some sort uh, and it 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 was the Love Reality Tour, which I didn't know. I don't even think you had a label for it at that at that first initial conversation. I didn't hear that.
1: Yeah, uh, we started talking about Romans seven. Yep. And and anytime someone brings up Romans seven, well, I've
2: always been into Romans seven. Like, my ears always <laughs> perk up.
1: Yeah. And so we were talking about fear. We were talking about Romans seven and. Would started like, well, what do you think Romans 7 is? Well, what do you think Romans 7 is? And we ended up in my office after basketball got over uh, till almost midnight, and our wives were calling us, saying, where are you? Are you still alive? (laughs) And Uh um, yeah, God had changed my life through a message that I heard through the Love Reality Tour about freedom from sin. And I had just... Within a month and a half before that, mm-hmm. started to understand what Romans seven was about mm. and what Paul is talking about, mm. and why Romans eight nine says that I'm not the guy in Romans seven. Mm. And so we start that, this all of conversation. that. Agree.
2: All of that resonated so much with me because, believe it or not, even through my days of legalism and. You know, all that I just described, I believed everything that you were articulating about Romans 7 and 8. And on top of that, you ministered to me in ways that, um, you know, I needed to be ministered to because I was dealing with some stress about money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were saying things like, you know, when you're in the spirit, you know, when you know who God is and what he thinks of you, there's no fear. Mm. That, That includes no fear about what others think of you or fear about your job or fear about your, you know, you, you said things like that, which minister to my soul. And then I was seeing that you were a different person. You said you,
1: something that night that was huge for me. Mm. I'll never forget it. Cause I was telling you my story and we were not arguing. Mm-hmm. It was like, You have a very, you're blessed in this way that you can debate with people and talk with people and I don't, I don't know if it's just with me, but I have never felt like you were against me. I always felt like we were in a discussion and you were listening, whether, (coughs) whether you agreed with me or not, you have a way of talking where people are kind of just open and we were kind of having a little debate about it Mm. and you, then I tell you my story and when I finished my story, you said... I believe you. And I was like, oh. And you said, I believe you because of your story. Hmm. And that stuck with me. And that's probably part of the reason why we're even talking today in this podcast mm-hmm. as, yeah. as many episodes as it has. It's because the story, it's about the story. Mm-hmm. And you said that to me that night, that first night we're sitting in my office mm. talking about this and we're talking about not having fear about finances not having fear about losing our jobs, not Mm -hmm. having fear about anything. And then within a few months, I lose my job. Yeah.
2: And then I watched you go through that experience. We were friends by then. And your attitude through that whole process validated and authenticated. Like no matter how, people can say whatever they want to say about Love Reality Tour but if that's the kind of fruit it's going to produce in somebody's life that they're not bitter and they're not going around trying to polarize the community about mm. over themselves then that's the fruit of the spirit like oh, th- there's the something authentic here and that's what I've observed throughout the process we've debated theology mm-hmm. i mean debated in the sense that you and i have been talking and trying to get deeper into you know what are you really saying with this and what am i really saying with that i think Mm -hmm. we need to do more of that but at the end of the day how you articulate something is less important than your life like the fruit of the spirit and when you can love people that have done harm to you Mm -hmm. and you know have wronged you when you can Authentically love them and not be bitter against them. That speaks in behalf of the fact that the Spirit is in your life.
1: Praise the Lord, man.
2: And so, yeah, that you know, uh, that's been part of my journey. You have been part of the journey for oh, the last couple of years. You know, as we've had these conversations and um, and it's so we're here in the year twenty twenty one. We're ba- we're both about to open new chapters in our lives. And I'll say that the story just continues. I'm still learning about God and understanding him better, but I'm not living in fear or stress about what he thinks of me. Hmm. But I'm on this— What does he think about you? He loves me unconditionally. His love for me, his posture towards me is independent of my performance, and uh, he's called me. And my identity has nothing to do with how good I preach or— whether I'm in ministry as a pastor or not, it's who he has called me to be. And uh, my, my goal is to know him better, and I want to communicate more accurately to others, both in my life and what I say in my teaching, what he's really like. Because there's something that I find beautiful about Adventism, I really do, both in terms of the, the picture of God. You talk about the ingredients. That's something I've heard you say. Yeah. We have the right ingredients. And, uh, you know, our, our understanding of God through the number, the, the various teachings, you know, like we don't believe that God is going to torture people throughout eternity. That's something about the character of God. Right. So there's something beautiful about Adventism. And uh, But there's also a lot of baggage and a lot of add-ons that we've put on the table. I think David Ashrick is the one that uses yeah. this illustration of this table of truth. And so a lot of people have basically, you know, walked away and they're done with it. And I understand because if you've had a toxic experience, you want to be done with it because it can be very discouraging. But I have this desire to help people not just in our church everywhere understand who
1: God is in the right context God is an Adventist mm. <laughs> he's love mm-hmm. and we're not going to at the end of the day when we when we get up in Sabbath school and we tell the story about how we convinced somebody that, mm. or how we, we didn't convince them actually right. at all. We just argued. We just won an argument about, that he didn't even understand. About how they were going to church on the wrong day. Right. And they didn't show up to church. They didn't, they didn't ask us, what church do you go to? Mm. Like, I want to be with people like you mm. that are just loving. Mm. Like, let, let's, let's not get it twisted. Mm. Um, I want to ask you this question and and finish on this, unless it, and then I'll, if you want to say something else, just. But let's, uh, and I usually end like this, you, you get to go back to talk to yourself, and you're about to go into your first year of college. Mm. And you're, mm. uh, how long have you been baptized? A year or so. Mm-hmm. And you've grown in the understanding of how much God loves you. Who he is? Mm-hmm. What would you say to that guy? I would say,
2: "Don't stress. Relax. Yeah. Like relax. Maybe here's the ironic thing. You know, I don't know how Crohn's disease. Nobody knows how it develops. There's a you know theory. Many theories. One theory is that stress is largely." the reason why people develop inflammation in the bowels and it's an autoimmune disease and there's so much mystery around autoimmune diseases. But the ironic thing is I was living the strictest during those first years in college in terms of healthy eating and lifestyle and yet I was probably under the greatest amount of stress in terms of, you know, am I doing it all right and is God happy with how I'm doing it? I think that that stress could have contributed to me developing Crohn's disease, which manifested itself a few years later to the point where I had to be operated on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it may sound simple, but it's
1: like, don't stress. Just relax. You know? Why do you get to relax? Relax. What's that? Why would you tell if you're like, why do because, I, why should I, I relax? I could, why, have, I, I could have enjoyed. No, what do you tell yourself when you're, when you're, when you say to yourself, self, relax? And you're like, how is that possible? What would you say? I could have enjoyed
2: my uh, time in college so much more if I was less obsessed with performance in order to please God. Yeah. And in a way that would have been pleasing to Him. You know what I mean? Like, because He was pleased with you anyway. He was right? pleased. Yeah. You're His son. I remember one time. This is actually after I was married. and I was still on this journey. I should, pro- you know, it's just another story. Uh, my in-laws were in Brazil. We went to this beautiful beach, just a little getaway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I I was I wasn't relaxed. You know, right? I wish I could just go back and tell myself, have fun, enjoy the beach, relax. You know what I mean? Have fun. Just enjoy it and i didn't enjoy it i was there in one of the most beautiful places in the world i wish i could go back to that moment and just enjoy that moment rather than being obsessed with is god okay with me being on this beach with all these secular people and all these you know half naked women you know there and it wasn't even the women it was the fact that i was there you know what i mean yeah it was like this conscience that was saying christians shouldn't be at the beach You know, in this environment, you know, it's like, yeah, just relax, enjoy it, enjoy your wife, enjoy your in-laws, enjoy the beach. God's not angry with you because you're there. So that's what I would tell myself. If that makes sense, no, it makes sense. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's understanding.
1: (laughs) So, so you're about by the time this thing comes out, um, you're going to be in your new spot, and I'm going to be probably in my new spot. What are these people are going to, are they going to hear about entering into rest? What are, what are these people where you're going? Yes. What, what, what's going to be preached, man? Oh, there's so much I want to preach. But the way I like to preach, Richard, is
2: I just, I want to take a, a whole six months on the book of Acts. And then I'll probably take uh, two or three months going through several of the minor prophets and then maybe take a whole year on Paul's writings. You know, that's how I like to preach because rather than dealing with a bunch of topics, let the authors of the Bible speak on their own terms and the, the teachings and the doctrines and the topics will emerge from there. I love studying the Bible in context. Understanding the historical and yeah. cultural and linguistic backgrounds, and understanding why is Paul writing to the Galatians? What are the circumstances? You know, and that's how I like to do my preaching. So all of this will come out, yeah, because it's all in Scripture. But I don't intend to just bombard them with topics, and you know, I I, I like to preach
1: from the books of the Bible rather than topics. Is your is your church have a YouTube channel? Yes. Yeah. All right, well, you can count on me uh, catching some of these sermons, man. All right. Hey, man, thank you so much. I appreciated this. I just, uh, we haven't had somebody with your background on here. Um, And so I just appreciate hearing this point of view. And it's, man, your life is a blessing to me. Your, Your friendship is a blessing to me. And so, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Feeling is mutual. It All was right. fun. I enjoyed it. All right, brother.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I'll tell we make it to the moon It's too late, can stop it, it's a boom No, I can't, I wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they trying to ride Coming out for the night, yeah, this that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, hey, ay Ay, hey. hey, put your hands down Hey, we ain't coming questions, yeah, we bend down. Creed, I am a wash the hands now. Went from thinking, broke to living rich now. Hey, bustin' with the twos, you watch me slide now. And hey, she look kinda bougie, and she bad now. Hey, mama, think I made it, is easy, proud now. Hey, hey. K.O.D. Only talk, holy things, I'm a prince, that's Rakeem, yeah, that's Rakeem. 23, check the rings, F.O.G. On my feet, on my soul, Jesus Christ set me free, yeah. Yeah. only motivation on me now is heavenly yes, Lot of people trying to drain me of this energy, I talked to God, told me people's not my enemies I'm cutting ties with the spirits trying to play with me to go shoot, case I say we make it to the moon, it's too late can stop it, it's a boom, no I can't, I wait till you approve, I got people with me on the other side, spirit on me too bright, I see they trying to ride, coming out for the night, yeah, this that come alive, coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive, They stay alive, ayy.